Uh, John chapter 14, we're going to begin reading in verse 15. John 14, beginning reading in verse 15. I am in Passion Version. He said, Loving me empowers you to obey my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me. He will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him. But you know him intimately because he remains with you and will live inside you. I promise I will never leave you helpless or abandon you as orphans. I will come back to you. Soon I will leave this world and they will see me no longer. But you will see me because I will live again and you will come alive too. So when that day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father and that you are one with me. For I will be living in you. Those who truly love me are those who obey my commands and whoever passionately loves me will be passionately loved by my Father. And I will passionately love him in return and will reveal myself to him. And one of the disciples named Judas, not Judas Spirit, said... Lord, why is it you will only reveal your identity to us and not everyone? Jesus replied, loving me empowers you to obey my word. And my Father will love you so deeply that we will come to you and make you our dwelling place. But those who don't love me will not obey my words. The Father did not send me to speak my own revelation, but the words of my Father. I'm telling you this while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Spirit of holiness, the one like me who sets you free, He will teach you how many things? All things in my name. And He will inspire you to remember every word I've told you. I leave the gift of peace with you. My peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear. Don't be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Remember what I told you. I must go away, but I promise to come back to you. So if you truly love me, you will be glad for me since I'm returning to my Father who is greater than I. So when all of these things happen, you will still trust and cling to me. I won't speak with you much longer, for the ruler of this dark world is coming. He has no power over me. He has nothing to use against me. Remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. He said that he has nothing to use against me. I am doing exactly what the Father destined for me to accomplish so that the world will discover how much I love my Father. Now, come with me. What does that say about God? That's right. So listen to this. In the book, Mere Christianity, which C.S. Lewis is trying to tell you there is no such thing as just Mere Christianity, right? Um, And so he says this. He says, you must make your choice. Either this man who, this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any other nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. And he did not intend to. 
So his teaching, if you are saying he's a good teacher, you have to say much more than that because he called you way too more to the things that he's saying is way more than just a good thought or a good philosophy, right? He calls you to say, eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? So it's like either he's a madman or he really is the son of God. There is no discussion. Like, it's one or the other. You can't sit in the middle. In other words, C.S. Lewis is trying to say, there's no such thing as just mere Christianity. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, right? You know what that entails, right? Um, and so when you look in the Word, um, Christians only use, I think, three times in the New Testament. The word Christian. The, the word disciple is used though, like 133 times. <laughs> So is a follower. What does a follower do? He does what the person in front of him is doing, right? Which was who? The first fruit among what? Many. Alright? And pass out some verses. First John two two. Alright. Two two. And verse uh, chapter three, verse five of that also. So whoever said I got that. Who said that? Okay. Uh, chapter 3, verse 5, and then chapter 3, verse 8. Um, Romans 5, 6 to 11. First John, I don't know, uh, he's got that up. Colossians 2, 15. John 10, 10. Matthew 6, 10. Luke 9, 56. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Deuteronomy 32, 1 and 2. Got it. Okay, James 1, 24. Got it. Exodus 33, 18 through 19. Got it. I think we'll be good there. <laughs> 47 scriptures later, we'll get out about 3 this evening. Let me go ahead and get my coffee. All right, <laughs> Past week was three hours and 26 minutes. I ain't even listening but the five minutes of it. All right. <clears throat> so, these first few scriptures, I just pulled them out because they're things that we've said before, but it's been a long time ago. So, this is just a refresher reminding us these are the things that the Bible says this is why Jesus came. Okay? So, 1 John 2, 2 says He came for what? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So He did what? Why did He come? Atone for our sin. Not just for our sin only, but for the sin for the what it said? A whole world. Not just for a few, but the whole thing, right? Because if he didn't, how could he reverse the curse, right? So he's reversing the entire curse that's on this world, right? That fractured it, he's making all things new, right? So then read chapter 3, verse 5. Right. And you know without a doubt that Jesus was revealed to eradicate sin. And there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in union with him will not sin. Not just atone for sin, but what's the word there? Eradicate. Eradicate. What does that mean? I mean, demolish. demolish. I'm talking about violently squash it out. It's kind of like what this vaccine is doing to the... 
No. <laughs> kind of like what that building did in Florida, though. It, <laughs> it, ain't, it, it ain't doing nothing. Right. All right. First John 3, 8 now. Three verses later. All right, it says, But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. So atone sin, annihilate sin, but now also destroy the works of the devil. Destroy his works. Destroy them. Right? Alright, Romans 5, 6 to 11. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, would anyone dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, You are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So, if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in His resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? Hmm. So He came for what? To take whose place? Can't take our place. Our judgment, our everything that we deserve, He came and He took that place to set things right. Right? Um, John ten ten. He came that you may have what kind of life? Abundant life. Now those all these things are saying this is why he came. This is why he came, right? Colossians two fifteen. And Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse them. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in the procession of triumph. It was not their prisoner, they were his. <laughs> he took them dudes and says, per, basically paraded them out in public to say, look, this is what they are now. He wanted everybody to know this is what kind of authority and power they actually have. But yet we still walk around like they have more authority than Jesus or us, right? So we don't walk around saying, does a policeman walk around and saying, um, I take my authority, put that... Put that down. I'm coming to get you. I'm about to take my authority. About to take my authority, you better. But that's the way we do with Satan, right? Trying to remind him. What does the policeman do? He just does his job and goes does what's supposed to be done. Because he already knows his authority. He's walking in. Right? So as we are supposed to do that same thing. Because he says, I made a public spectacle of them. Stripping them down to nothing. They have no weapons. They have nothing. And I made a public display of it so everybody will know, right? You know, we just celebrated Juneteenth, right? Remember, Juneteenth was, in Texas, some didn't know that slavery had ended, right? They ain't got the message yet. So the ones there, even though it had already been established, since they didn't know or had heard yet, they were still living in bondage. 
Most of us are that same way. And that's what he's trying to say. I, I made a public display of this. <laughs> so you'll see it. So you ain't got to say, oh, I didn't know. You don't have to be in bondage anymore. It's been declared. <laughs> you are free. Right? That's what he's doing here. All right, Matthew 6.10. As your kingdom comes, What is that saying about present or past tense? That's present tense. So he's wanting to make come and make an awareness of what kind of what kind of kingdom is this? Is this a kingdom of now or somewhere far down the road? He's trying to get you to see the kingdom is when right now, and he's trying to get you to see what the kingdom is. It's bringing heaven to where earth, not the other way around. Right? Say this simple prayer. And you can get to go to heaven one day, but I don't know what the heck you're going to do until you die. Suffer, I guess, and pay tax. Right? That's not what he said. I'm here to tell you to bring it here. Right? Then Luke 9.56. So they went to another village instead. I can't do Maybe not. <laughs> Let me look and see what I said. That's all it said? Amen. Amen. They went on to that other village. I may have meant to do five and six. Let me see. Ah, yeah. Wherever meant to go, you said, probably far away to do it. Wherever they went. Come to bring life to the earth. 55? Yep. 55. 55. Okay. Don't you realize what's used from your hearts when you say that? The Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to what? Bring life. Bring life. Right? And then go to the other building. That's right. Um, so, and just to go back to the beginning of chapter 9, he's sending those disciples out, and they are going out bringing this about, by the way. It's not just Jesus doing it. Like, he's already empowered them, and then this is supposed to continue to keep going, right? Um, and so he's trying to remind them, that's why you're here too. <laughs> right? We shouldn't shudder at bad news because we should be bringing the life into the bad news. That makes sense. It should awaken us to say, that's why we're here. Does that make sense? But yet we believe death more than we bring life. Okay? So what word are you receiving? Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, but according to how you believe, you will receive into the kingdom. Okay? So, and all these things, though, we see all these different aspects, and that's not even a full detailed list. There's other things that we could have done, but those were some really good ones for you to just awaken your senses. Just I want you to just kind of get your mindset in that right place of these are the things that said that Jesus came, right? And so often we think about Jesus and God being this different identity, right? But Jesus says, I cannot do anything unless I hear or see the Father doing it or saying it, right? Also, Hebrews, we're going to look at that in just a minute, but he's the exact replica of the Father. So in all these things that we just read, 
What was he ultimately trying to get us to see in all those things? What his daddy was like. He wanted us to see what Papa was like. Because we missed it. Read the Old Testament. It wasn't that His goodness all of a sudden showed up right here in the New Testament. In fact, His goodness is seen throughout the whole thing. In fact, in the book of Nahum, He says He is nothing but good. Right? So, in the Old Testament, He, he constantly, even though they couldn't get it right, He's still extending. And extending more mercy. Extending more mercy. Like you see Him pleading with them constantly. Like, why are you continuing to do this? Right? Like, I just want you to have so much life. I just want you to enjoy this so much. Right? And I want us to be in this in this relationship together. I want us to be in enjoyment together. Right? So let's look at Hebrews, and I want to look at a couple of detailed words. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. So let's start with the verse 1. Ancient, it says, or ancient there, means these ancient thoughts, not just ancient prophets. When it says ancient prophets, it's talking about these ancient thoughts that go back to the beginning. Like saying from our source, it's the word palae. Um, not even going to try to pronounce that exactly right. Um, starts with a P is all you need to know. Uh, you don't even have to know that. But it comes back to this original source of ancestry, basically. Right? That this is your DNA from the very beginning. I've been speaking this message, right? How does Genesis start off? In the beginning, God, what? He created and He started doing what? Speaking. He's been speaking a word over creation this whole time. You see what I'm saying? And it says He goes back to these ancient things, right? Jesus came, He says... As the exact replica of the Father to do what? Proclaim this message that you keep getting wrong. This message that was supposed to be intended from the beginning, He came to display the message that you were supposed to get for this whole time. That's what He's trying to say in this opening remarks in Hebrews. Okay, So when He's opening this up, He's taking you back, like think, all the way from the beginning of your existence. This is what he's trying to get to you. Now look at the word of these ancestral words. Deuteronomy 32, 1, and then read verse 2, and then read verse 18. Deuteronomy 32, 1, 2, and 18. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you are the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words ascend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. So let my what? My words. Receive these words, right? Like, and then he gives you this illustration, just like the rain and the, and the grounds and how everything's receiving life and growing, right? Receive these words in that way. Like I've been telling you this from the beginning. Keep going. You did what? 
forgot. Like I've been speaking this over you this whole time. This is your identity. This is who you are. In me is who you are. And you, from this very beginning, I've been trying to get you to understand this clearly. He says, but you forgot. What did we forget? Our original design. Our original intent. Our original purpose. We forgot it all. When we got out of the garden, we forgot it all. And in our own delusion, Christ comes to set us free from that, to get us into the place. So we forgot our, our, our face-to-face communion. Remember in John 1? We were there in the beginning with Him, right? And so there we are. And Jesus came to basically, in other words, rescue the real you. Don't you see that in those scriptures that we just read a while ago? That he came to rescue the real you. The way you were intended to be. From the very beginning. To restore it to back the way it was supposed to be at the very beginning. You and him. In face to face communion. Who he came to restore that completely. Okay? Now listen to this. And you may have to close your eyes for a second. To kind of picture this. Because there's some just profound words to me in this. But this is verse 3 in the mirror version. Okay? Listen to, to how he describes... Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 3. The Messiah. Message. The Messiah message, right? This is Jesus' message. Is what has been on the tip of the Father's tongue all along. So in other words, before I keep breaking this down, Jesus, when He comes, right? It's like the crescendo. Like it's like... What we've all been waiting, it's the climax of the story, right? It's, I've been trying to get you to see this this whole time. I've been speaking this message. You keep forgetting it. You can't seem to understand what I really want you to understand. You keep getting me wrong all through the Old Testament, even though those words are in there, right? We're not saying there's fallacy in the Bible, but I'm saying there's some guys in the Bible that would proclaim things about God and then later on say, they got that wrong, (laughs) right? Even Job himself got some things wrong. Right? By the end of Job's life, he's like, I got that one wrong. <laughs> right? So, he's like, you keep getting it. You keep missing it. Like, you know in part. Right? Like Paul's saying, you know in part. You prophesy in part. You're getting a little bit of it, but you're not getting the full entity of what I really want you to see. Right? So, so that's why I'm going to put my son here, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Right? And so he said, this is what's been on the tip of his tongue this whole time. Now he is the crescendo of God's conversation with us and gives context and content to the authentic prophetic thought. Like if you want content and context of what God's been trying to tell you, look at Jesus. Right? Everything that God has in mind for mankind is voiced in Jesus. Jesus is God's language. This is still the translation of this verse, by the way. This is not notes. (laughs) He is the radiant and flawless mirror expression of the person of God. He makes the glorious intent of God visible. Like, what was the glorious intent of God, right? We always talk about God's glory, God's glory, God's glory. He makes the glorious intent of God visible. You want to know what that glory looks like? Look at Jesus. Right? 
and exhibits the character and every attribute of Elohim in human form. His being announces our redeemed innocence. His what? His being. Like His being here announces to the world our Redeemer, our redeemed innocence. And in having accomplished purification for sins, He sat down enthroned in the boundless measure of His majesty in the right and of God as His executive authority. He is the force of the universe upholding in everything that exists. This conversation is the dynamic that sustains the entire cosmos. That's their translation of that verse. <laughs> now if you look at the notes in the Mirror Bible on that one verse, it's like this long and it goes through about a hundred different words that are used in this verse in the Greek and breaks them down for you to how they got that translation like that, right? So they're not just making it up. They're getting you to understand what the language is actually trying to tell you. In other words, God's conversation from the very beginning has been to try to get you to see His love for you and who you really are. I mean, just to boil it down, right? Just to get it down to the basic concept. He wants you to know how much He loves you, how good He really is, and who you really are. Because we lost it somewhere along the way. Right? That's what He wants us to see. So how do we see it? Look at Jesus' life. The way Jesus' life was, was the way it was supposed to be with you and the Father this whole time. But also the way you were supposed to execute that on the earth. Right? So, are we claiming that we're Jesus? No, but we are claiming He's in us because isn't that what that verse said earlier? That I will not leave you as orphans. We want to dwell. Dwell means I'm going to live there. I'm not just going to come and go. Be hanging out sometimes. Sometimes I'm going to go. You never know when I'm going to be there. No, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I want to live in you. Right? So, remember a few, about a month ago or so, we looked at some scripture with... um, with Moses. Remember that? And Moses was going, he was like, show me your glory, God. Right? All these times Moses went up on the mountain, right? But this time whenever he says, show me your glory, what did, what did God tell Moses? He said, I'll pass by you and let you see my backside and I'll show you my, and he didn't say the word glory. He said, I'll show you my, start with G. Goodness. So he equates glory and goodness together. He says, and I'll show you my goodness. Right? I'll show you my goodness. From that point on, when he come off the mountain from seeing the goodness of God, his face did what? Glowed. It glowed. So much so, they said, bro, you got to cover that thing up. Right? Alright, now, let's go back to our passage in John 14. John 14, verse 16, where we started. I want you to notice something. And I will ask the Father, and He'll give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like 
What? Me. I'll give you another means. That word there in the Greek means the exact same. Right? The exact same. Now, Brent's got two couches right here. Right? Are they both couches? Do they both seat people? Can we call them both couches? We say that couch and that couch. Right? But can we say they're exactly the same? They're different. Even those two right there recliners, if we examined them microscopically, we may have to because they're pretty exact, there would still be a hint of something that would be different about those two chairs. Whether it had Grace's hair in it and Brent's hair in it, that may be the only thing we see, but that's still a slight difference. This definition doesn't mean that. Like close, but no cigar? No, it means there is no difference at all. It is the exact replica. So Hebrews is saying Jesus was the exact replica of Papa. And Holy Spirit is the exact replica of Jesus. So let me ask you this. In the three persons, is there any difference? No, that's why it says there is no shifting, no shadow, no darkness in them. They're the exact mirror image all in one. But where now, let me ask you, do they reside? In us. So picture this. Picture four circles. There's one circle. Okay? Then Jesus, let's just say Papa God's one circle. Jesus is the other circle. They go on top of each other until it looks like one circle again. Okay? Now let's take Holy Spirit. Let's put him in the mix. And he's a circle. And we put him there until it put exactly on top of each other. They're exact same dimensions. That circle is the exact same dimension. You can't tell there's three circles in the mirror. There's just one circle again. But guess what happened? They included you, John 17. The fourth circle comes in, and that's you. And it covers that place too. It's not in like this, or a little bit like this, or it's not like crooked a little bit. But he made you exactly the same until you can't tell the difference in all four circles. He wants you to understand that I gave you everything you need to know to do the mission that I put you here to do. First, you got to understand I love you. Next, you got to understand that I'm good. If you don't understand he's good, when we do some things, sometimes it may freak you out a little bit, but if we sit here and we try to get you to just kind of picture the Father, we try to get you to picture being in that presence and then listen to what he wants to say to you. When we get in that place and the understanding, if you don't believe he's good, you're not going to get close to it. He's going to seem so far, far away. You want to see His glory? You want to experience His glory? He said, let me show you my goodness. Let me show you how good this really is. It's better than you think, guys. That's why He said, I'm giving you this exact replica so you can see what I'm really like. I'm taking my exact replica and I'm putting it inside you. So that then there is no shifting even inside you so that you can be in perfect 100% presence with me all the time.
Oneness. When he's talking about oneness, that's what he's explaining. And he's saying that that was the purpose of this redemptive work this whole time was to get you to see. Because whatever we're looking at, if we're still focused on our nature of this world, that the Adam nature of this world, then that's the nature we're going to live by. But he says, behold, you become all things new. He says, you became a new creature, right? Old things did what? Passed away. That's a past tense there, by the way. It's not saying when you die, old things pass away. It's saying 2,000 years ago, old things passed away. But the problem is we still believe the old word. We believe the word before Christ. So some of us are still living in B.C. and not A.D. Because of our perception. Or until you believe, so it be unto you, Jesus said. So let's close your eyes. Let's get in that place. Just start off by simply echoing those words. The words that we just read in John 14. If you love me, you can obey me. In fact, your love for me empowers you. So let's just start off something simple. Papa, I love you. Now that may be a little weird for you to say, Papa. But again, if you don't believe he is so good... You probably won't get that close. So let's just start off with something simple. Papa, I love you. Papa, I know you love me. Let's just say it again. Papa, I love you. Hmm. Papa, I know you love me. Continue to say that in your heart. Just let your heart expound on that. Just let your heart just meditate on that one truth. Papa, I love you. Papa, I know you love me. If that even seems strange to say, that's how far your perception is from His goodness. So just continue. Just stay in that place. We're not going anywhere else. Just meditate on that one thought. Just let it sit there. Meditate on that thought. Papa, I love you. Papa, I know you love me. Now we're going to expound that thought just a little bit. We'll take it a little bit deeper. Expound that thought. Just stay right there in that place. Papa, I love you. Papa, I know you love me. I'm just going to take it a little bit deeper. Father, I know I'm one with you. And you're one with me. Papa, I know I'm one with you and you are one with me. Maybe even picture those circles just coming together until it's just one circle. Jesus can talk to all three. 
Jesus, I know I'm one with you and you are one with me. Holy Spirit, I know I'm one with you and you are one with me. Just expound in that place until you believe it. You have to say it over and over and over again. Picture yourself there. Just focusing on his love for us and our love for him. Just admiring who he is, what he's done. How beautiful. That you've been invited into this place. You are one. With the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, you are one. They are in you, living in you. You are in them, living in them. There is no separation. So in this place, there is no darkness. There's no shadow. There's no shifting. But if Jesus is the exact replica of the Father, the Holy Spirit is the exact replica of Jesus, and they live in you and you live in them, what glory, he says in John 17, that he is sharing with you now. Not earning a glory, you're in the glory. And in God's words to Moses, his glory is in his goodness. Experience the goodness of God. Taste and see. This is a reach out, experiential, taste his goodness. And see with new eyes and new perception of who he is and who you really are. Prepare your heart. We're going to pass out bread and the juice. I just want you to get your heart in a place of receiving. If he says, drink my blood, eat my flesh, and he's saying, I'm in you, you are in me. If you eat of this, is it, you, it is for you, your perception. This is part of your perception for you to see that you are actually really consuming him because he's in you and you are in him. There is no separation of that. All those nutrients he's trying to get you to see just like when you eat something, it's going all throughout your body, right? The nutrients of that is filling your body with life. He's the life source, right? What are you believing you're receiving when you're, con- when you're taking the communion? Believe as it is to you, as you believe. It will be done. If you think it's just a mere as C.S. Lewis called it mere Christianity, if you think it's just a mere type of symbolism, then just to do it because he told you to, then that's what you're going to receive out of it. 
But if you're actually believing, you're consuming Him, you're consuming life, and I believe He's supernaturally going throughout your whole body, recalibrating and re-putting back things that need to be back in right order inside your body supernaturally. Mentally, physically, spiritually. at home or any other time I may not have this in front of me but get a cracker or a piece of bread or whatever I have at the moment I don't have to go to the store to buy it right because it's according to how I'm believing this right and so a lot of times whatever it is whether it's here or whether it's whatever I buy at home Always take whatever it is. And this is me, not because he said do this, but because it's just something he spoke to me one day, just to remind myself, and I just take it and I just break it. Because it reminds me that he willingly laid down his body to be broken for us. Like flesh ripped out for us, right? Like the wounds were not just on the outside, but the wounds went deep into the inside, right? It says that even those things that that cat of nine tails goes into the flesh, like it goes into the flesh and pulls flesh out, right? So he wants to heal us from the inside out, right? So his wounds, when it says, by his wounds we are healed, think about that. It's deep inside pain all the way to the outside, from the inside out. So we consume his body that was willingly laid down, right? They couldn't take it. He had to willingly lay it down, right? We talked about that Wednesday night. Just think about the fact that there were 600 soldiers there to take him, right? With torches and swords. They're there to take him. And they said, we're looking for Jesus. He said two words. I am. Boom. All 600 fall to the ground. Like with a word, he can do all that. So he had to willingly lay down his life for us. And we consumed that life. That's how powerful his life really is. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So Jesus, we thank you for your body. And we consume you and believe we receive from you all its life. And his blood that it is on the mercy seat, right? That covers us, covers our sin, like to remember no more. So that means to remember no more, there's also no effects of it, right? So I'm believing when I'm consuming His blood that not only is it covering my sin, but the effects of sin are gone. What are the effects of sin? So much death, Sickness, disease, heartache, bad relationships, right? Um, arguing, fighting, 
Even the ground, the earth, our businesses, there's things that are affected by sin. He said, I want to restore it all, even to the soil of the earth. Right? And he sweat drops of blood to take our curse for us. Because didn't he say from this point on, by the sweat of your brow? But he even took that curse from you. That you may do even your work from a place of rest. We receive. Father, you're good to us. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. May your goodness follow us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And may you be blessed and this face shine upon you. Be blessed this week. Amen. Love you guys.